Our first reading is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, beginning at verse 5. can be found on page 1025 in the Church Bibles. Luke 1, verse 5. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. But they had no children, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well on in years. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshippers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well on in years. The angel answered, I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God, and I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. 
When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The second reading comes from Matthew, chapter 25. This can be found on page 994 of your Bibles and on the screens in front of you. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they are on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to a wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later the others also came. Sir, sir, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Heavenly Heavenly Father, we thank you that your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our paths. We pray that through the power of your Holy Spirit, you will illuminate our hearts and minds that we may serve you faithfully in the days to come through the power of your Spirit, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Just over a year ago, we received a fridge magnet through the post which said, save the date, Sarah and Mike are getting married. Delia's niece was getting married on the 4th of November 2017, but no time for the marriage was specified. At a Jewish wedding during the time of Jesus, it often took the form of a party which lasted several days. An initial invitation was sent weeks before, and the day would be announced, but not the time. It was like a save the date notice. There are several marriage parables in Matthew's Gospel, and in chapter 22 we read of the invitation to the wedding banquet. The guests would accept the invitation, and on the day of the wedding, when all the food was prepared, the servants would go out and announce that the celebration was about to begin. And in that culture of those days, a torchlight procession 
uh, at a marriage ceremony in the evening wasn't unusual. And it would appear that the proceedings might have had several stages. The bridegroom might well have been delayed at an earlier venue before he arrives at the banquet to be greeted at last by the guests. And that's the context of the parable of the ten virgins. In August this year, we received the formal invitation to our niece's wedding at Broxbourne Parish Church. The date was already firmly in my diary because they'd asked me to conduct the marriage part of the ceremony at 12 noon. When I read the invitation, it said the service, or at least it invited everyone to arrive at 11.30. So I asked Delia to check with her niece, and her answer was a classic. She said, I don't want guests arriving at the same time as the bridal party, so they'll be there at 11.30, and I'll arrive at 12. Now, in my experience, it's the brides who are late. The record is an African bride who arrived an hour and 40 minutes late. I don't ever remember, really, too many uh, guests arriving late. I can't ever remember a bridegroom being late. I can remember one being very much a last-minute experience as I got the best man to drag him from the pub opposite. <laughs> and he said, sorry, I was just needing a bit of Dutch courage. And I have some sympathy for him, knowing his mother-in-law to be. <laughs> so the 4th of November 2017 arrived, and you can probably guess what happened? The guests started to arrive from 10.30, and they were all seated by 11.30. 12 noon came, no sign of the bride. 10 past 12, the bridesmaids arrived with the bride's mother. The bell ringers gave up and went to the calf down the road and said, tell us when the service is over. At 12.30, the bride finally arrived. Some of the guests have been waiting two hours in a non-to-warm uh, church, waiting and waiting. And that's the theme today of waiting. But let's be clear in our minds today that we're not waiting for the bride to arrive. We're awaiting the arrival of the bridegroom, Jesus Christ. We're waiting for Jesus, the Lamb of God, to come to claim the church, his bride for himself. And in the book of Revelation, we read these words, Alleluia, for the Lord God Almighty reigns. Let's rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. The disciples had asked Jesus about the coming uh, of the end of the age and what signs to look for. And Jesus had said there'll be times of great difficulty in the future. But the disciples weren't meant to know the exact time or the day or the hour. In chapter 24 and verse 32, and again in chapter 25, verse 13, we read these words. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. We too must be ready and waiting. How should we be waiting? We must be waiting as those who are prepared to meet the bridegroom, Jesus. This parable, like the others in the previous chapters, indicates that when the Lord comes again, 
there'll be a distinction made between one group of people and another. One group enters in with Jesus, the bridegroom, to enjoy fellowship with him. The other group is kept out. And the differentiation in this parable is between the wise and the foolish. Notice the comparison is between the wise and the foolish, not between good and bad, or the righteous and the wicked, but those who are wise and foolish. The story, as we've heard, is probably one of the most familiar parables. The bridegroom was delayed. The foolish virgins realized, despite their outward appearance, they'd failed to prepare sufficiently. There's a distinction between believers and unbelievers, between those who will enter the kingdom of heaven and those who will be excluded from it. And it may not be apparent until the coming of Christ. Because Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So at the second coming, when people stand before the Lord, their true spiritual status is known. Notice that the five foolish virgins were almost indistinguishable from the five wise virgins. The five wise foolish virgins addressed the groom as Lord on two occasions. The five foolish virgins looked just like the five wise virgins. The five foolish virgins weren't different from the five wise virgins except for one thing. The foolish virgins brought their flaming torches, but no reserve of oil. So when the bridegroom arrived, they were unprepared. None of the virgins knew when the groom would arrive, and all ten slept when he took longer than expected to arrive. We don't find the five foolish virgins asleep while the five wise virgins are busily at work. All slept all were awakened by the news of the groom's approach. There are two types of sleep and two levels of preparedness. There's the sleep of the slothful, but there's also the contented sleep of those who are really resting in Jesus and their faith in him. And there's a preparedness which finds peace at midnight as opposed to being anxious watching and waiting through fear and uncertainty about the enemy, death, or when Jesus might come again. I heard recently of a a lady of 83 who said in a house group uh, elsewhere, God doesn't want me to die yet. Why is that, asked the leader? Because I'm not good enough. Clearly, she'd not been well taught. My question would be, When when will that ever be? It is by God's grace, his amazing grace, as we sang just now, that we're saved through faith, not through things that we do, so that we don't live in fear and uncertainty. The cry goes up at the time we least expect. The wise virgins only needed to pour more oil on their torches which they had ready because they were prepared. 
For the foolish, the lack of watchfulness reaches beyond a mere drowsiness to a total unpreparedness for what the Lord was about to do. The five foolish virgins had no oil for the very same reasons people continue to run out of petrol or diesel today, even though the flashing message on their instrument panel tells them they're running out because they don't heed the warnings. And people who run out of fuel are without excuse. Not everybody in the church, let alone society at large, is ready for Jesus' coming, despite the warnings. And when the bridegroom arrives, it's too late. We can't borrow someone else's faith or faithfulness, riding on the back of a parent's profession of faith, or boasting of our affiliation to one church or another, or even living by the Ten Commandments. A man in the lip-reading group that I belong to said in discussion at coffee break, oh, I'm not religious, he said. In fact, I can't believe that one man, God, created the world. Of course, he went on, I was baptised and confirmed, and I ran a scout group, so I'm C of E, and so, you know, I'll be all right in the end, won't I? Then he added, I live by the Ten Commandments. I couldn't stop myself from saying gently, only five of them. What do you mean, he said? Well, I said the first five of the Ten Commandments have to do with God and our relationship with him. And you claim not to believe in that God. How might people be unprepared for the coming of the Saviour? Well, I've suggested people don't heed the warning signs. People don't buy oil or run out of fuel, are like the people who refuse to heed the warnings of God's word and the invitation of salvation through faith in Jesus. Those who run out of fuel are lulled into a false sense of confidence by the fact that everything appears to be fine now. The engine's not spluttering or chug chugging, so they feel confident in their choice not to buy fuel but are lulled into a false sense of security. I took the funeral of a 34-year-old man who came home from a medical one day, having passed the medical A1 fit. The next day, he collapsed and died from an undetected aneurysm. His young widow said, it seemed he seemed so well, and we were doing all right. It's so unfair. But there was a sense in which they are lulled into a false sense of security. Those who run out of oil or fuel are those who wrongly suppose that they still have plenty of time to get it later. Those who think they'll have other opportunities to come to faith in Christ are making a very dangerous assumption. The coming of the Lord will be sudden and unexpected. And when he comes, all chances of changing course have been forfeited, forfeited. The coming of the Lord ends our opportunity to turn to faith in him. And just as death takes us by surprise, so too when he does come, it will be without warning and at a time we don't expect him. There'll be no opportunity to change our minds. We must therefore be prepared now and from now on 
And the bleeping in my ear suggests that I'm not prepared because my hearing aid battery ran out in this ear at nine o'clock and I swapped batteries and this one's running out, so <laughs> I'm not prepared. How do we prepare when it means confessing our sins, our helplessness, our need of salvation? By trusting in the death of Jesus in our place, his victory over death through his resurrection, if we've not already done so. It's not enough to say, I know about God, I know about Jesus. So the parable serves as a warning. The five foolish virgins didn't really run out of oil. They never had it. Not all will enjoy the marriage feast in heaven, but it's they who are without excuse, having failed to heed the warnings and being unprepared. Therefore, stay alert because you don't know the day or the hour. Secondly, we can wait by living godly lives. Paul wrote to Titus, the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself to redeem us from all wickedness. There are signs that we live for Christ today, vital signs that reassure us that we are his children. When we come to faith in Christ, we enter a radically new and different way of life. Faith is something that's transformational through the Spirit at work in us. Having experienced new life in Christ, we now enter the process called sanctification, whereby the old person, the old me, is put to death, and a new person, the new me in Christ, continues to be conformed to the image of Christ. There are those within the leadership of the church who are calling for Christians to reflect in their lives the values and attitudes of society. I'm not convinced by that argument myself because Jesus said we must be in the world but not of the world. As Christians, we need to be countercultural and bring light into the darkness. So with the help of the Holy Spirit, we say no to ungodliness and worldly passions to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives to this, in this present age, eager to do what's good. So are we waiting as those who are prepared? Are we waiting as those living godly lives that brings honour to God by preparing the way of the Lord? And finally and briefly, we wait patiently. The wise virgins in the parable were able to sleep confident that they were prepared. We used to sing the old hymn, God is working his purpose out as years succeed to years. So we must be patient. We can be weary in waiting Waiting can be frustrating at times, not just at weddings when the brides are now late, 
though I have to say the guests were remarkably patient and calm. I'm not the most patient of people when it comes to waiting. It's frustrating to wait in traffic queues at Milton Cemetery Junction or Powell Interchange in Paulsgrove, in the Prime Minister's parish church in Sonning, a former organist used to play a variation on a theme if the bride was late, why are we waiting? The congregation didn't notice, but the verger and the choir and I knew what he was playing. He got fed up with waiting. On the 10th of November, the eminent scientist, physicist Stephen Hawking said this in an interview. He was fearful for humans, dramatically warning that the end of the world is nigh, claiming we've got less than 600 years left as a species to do something before a ball of fire engulfs the earth. Well, he could be right. But what we can be sure about is that we're waiting patiently for the Lord's timing to be perfect. We're often tempted to ask the question, how long, O Lord? Much as the early Christian martyrs in heaven cried with a loud voice, how long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? We don't know the time or the hour, so patience is required. The psalmist, I think, is helpful on this. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. In Galatians chapter 4, Paul writes of Jesus' birth, when the right time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman. And we could be confident that Jesus' second coming will be at the perfect time. So Jesus urges us to be alert because no one knows the day or the hour. We're called to be faithful to God and obey him by living righteous lives, fully prepared to meet him. There'll be no second chances when Christ returns. The master of the household, when he refused entry to the five foolish virgins, wasn't being rude. God himself invites all to join the banquet, the feast of heaven, but not all accept his invitation. It's their choice to ignore the warnings and refuse his invitation to life. So the question for us this morning is this, are we ready and waiting to meet him? There may be some in church this morning for, who, for whom this message is a challenging one in the sense that they don't feel comfortable and ready to meet him. If that is the case, then please speak to one of us afterwards. Not me, because I won't be able to hear you because the battery's just gone. <laughs> but there'll be someone who's prepared to talk to you so that you don't miss the opportunity and be like the five foolish virgins and be excluded from the, the banquet as we sit a moment of quiet and then a prayer.
Father, we thank you that through our Lord Jesus Christ, we can be sure that through our faith in him, we can be with you in the heavenly banquet. Help each of us to prepare for his coming by waiting patiently and prayerfully, by being those who are actively seeking your kingdom through living godly lives. Help us, each of us, by the power of your spirit, to receive your invitation to new life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you.